Good morning, everybody. (laughs) So glad to be able to share with you this morning. I'm Steve Pruitt, and I'm one of the yahoos here. Um, Yeah. Um, If you have a Bible with you this morning, it might be helpful for you to turn to the book of Philippians. And especially chapter 4, but we'll be in a couple of places there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's probably one in front of you in the little rack in the seat in front of you. And you're welcome to either borrow that or if you don't have a Bible, just take it with you. There's also notes at the uh, communion tables that you can grab if you want to follow along that way. And if you follow along with the Bible app, then all you have to do is open the app. Click on more down in the lower right, and then events, and we should come up um, through GPS, and you should be able to follow that way. We'll also be projecting verses on the screen, so you have no excuse to not have this whole thing memorized by the time I'm done. (laughs) With that many avenues of learning, you must get it, okay? We're in week 13 in a series called Never Read a Bible Verse. And as we say every week, what we mean by that is never read it without the context, without considering what it is meant to say. What we're saying is don't just pull it out of its setting and try to give it a meaning that it was never intended to have. That can lead to all kinds of false doctrine and false directions from the Bible when you do that. And so it's really good if you're in that habit to stop it. Just start looking Uh, at things in context. The way that we guard ourselves against doing that very thing is by remembering at least three things when we read a Bible verse, and we've talked about these as well. Remember the big picture. What does the Bible say about the subject that the writer is on as a whole? And how does this relate to the big story of our salvation? Does it contradict it? Sometimes taken out of context, a verse can be made to say something that it just was never meant to say. The second thing, so that's the big picture. The second one is remembering how words work. Remember how we talked about how one word can have so many different meanings depending on where it appears? And the Bible is no different. It's written in a language, and that's the way languages work, and that's That's the way words work in a language. And then also remembering the context. And the context could include looking at the immediate passage that you're in, but also looking at the historical setting and culture, which we're going to do a little bit of that this morning, and also looking at other clear passages where the subject comes up and the teaching is very direct and clear. The ambiguous passages should not be doctrine-building passages. It should be the clear passages. And so that's how we study in context. That's how we protect our even if we don't know Greek or Hebrew or uh, haven't been to seminary, Bible school or anything like that, it's your best bet for understanding the way that God meant a verse to read. Today we're going to take a look 
at a very popular passage that has been misused many times. Sometimes, and not all for bad purposes, sometimes it's used to give courage, sometimes it's used to boost morale, but even sometimes it's used for not so noble purposes. The verse is Philippians 4.13. And how about if you stand with me and we'll all say it together. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. How many of you have heard that verse before? Okay. Father, as we look at this amazing statement in your word this morning, uh, help us to handle it accurately so that we can hear it as you meant for it to be heard and claim the encouragement that you meant for us to have as your followers. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can take a seat. First, maybe we should take a look at the verse out of context. That is... um, how it's been used as a standalone verse. It's been the favorite verse for many people. It might even come in second to John 3.16. I'm not sure. But um, you'll see it on coffee mugs and letterman jackets, wall posters, trinkets, and tattoos. It's, uh, yeah? (laughs) Saving couldn't help but giggle. Um, All right. The Florida Gators quarterback, Tim Tebow, would print it in white letters on the black grease, Phil 413, um, as he played football. Uh, Steph Curry has it written on his basketball shoes, uh, using it as a kind of a a motivational statement. Some like to use the verse as a promise that you can do pretty much anything you set your mind to do. You can succeed in business. You can win a wrestling match or a football game. You can get a date with the prom queen. All sorts of things that you can do because Jesus is with you and you got this kind of a thing. But what happens if things don't work out? If you lose your game, or your business collapses, or you don't get your promotion, or the prom queen goes with the quarterback instead of you, what does that do? What happens if things don't work out? Well, when it seems like Jesus doesn't come through on this promise, um, and you don't succeed, the legalist might say, well, I must have done something wrong or I must have some sin in my life because otherwise God would bless me because when I do well, he blesses me and when I sin, he really bums me out sometimes. Um, The prosperity preachers and the faith healers would probably say, well, you just didn't believe it strong enough. There must just be some seed doubt in your heart. Otherwise, it would have happened and you would have been able to do it. Non-believers and skeptics might say, well, man, if God is all-powerful like you say, and he's promised that you can do all things, then he must not really be all that powerful after all. And it can create doubt 
in people when they have looked at the verse as a catch-all promise for success. Um, it, there's a potential for it to cause problems in believers uh, over and over and over again if we take it wrongly. But please, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we should get our exacto knife and cut it out of our Bibles. I think that we should keep it in our Bibles, but keep it in context and learn to not use it as a standalone statement without remembering where it appears. I can do all things through him who strengthens me is a great verse with an amazing message when it's taken in the way that it's meant to be taken. And I want to point us to that, its true message. So let's take a, a closer look at the verse in context. And we'll be bringing in several things that color what Paul is saying so that we can understand it. First of all, we should note that this verse comes at the very end of a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi in Macedonia, a place where he actually had a dramatic history. Originally, Paul wasn't even headed to Philippi. He, was, uh, he and Tylus, uh, Silas and Timothy were headed to Galatia, but the Holy Spirit actually intervened and told him not to go there. Um, <clears throat> that was kind of strange, like a divine stop sign in his life. But then that very night, God gave Paul a vision where a man from Macedonia called out to him and said, come over to Macedonia and help us. And you can find that story, by the way, in Acts 16 and 17, where Paul's history with Philippi started. Paul knew that that was a divine detour, so off they went, you know, headed in one direction, and then off they went to Macedonia. They arrive in Philippi, where they head out to a place by, uh, to a river where there was a place of prayer, and there was a group of women there. Paul shares the gospel with these women, and a woman named Lydia becomes the first believer in Philippi. And the very first church in Philippi ends up being established in her house. But there were several hiccups along the way. Paul and Silas were constantly harassed by a demon-possessed fortune teller who followed them everywhere, shouting and disrupting. And when they cast the demon out of her, the guys who owned her and made money off of her fortune teller stuff were livid, and they had Paul and Silas arrested. They were flogged, which is a gentle word for saying their backs were shredded with whips or, or bruised like crazy with rods. But they were flogged uh, and put in prison with their feet uh, fastened in the stocks. You've seen stocks where your feet go through and it's, yeah, it looks like a guillotine, but it doesn't chop your legs off. But here they are in prison with their backs torn and bleeding from the flogging. But instead of whining and starting a pity party, Paul and Silas start praying and singing hymns 
while all the other prisoners listened in. But then all of a sudden, while they're doing this, in the middle of the night, there is a huge earthquake and all of the prisoners' bonds come off and the stocks are released and every single one of them is freed. Well, the jailer wakes up and because he knows if prisoners escape, it's his life on the line, he comes in and he's about to commit suicide. And Paul says, don't do anything to harm yourself. And the guy comes over to uh, Paul and says, sirs, what must I do? to be saved. Paul shares with him and then the guy takes him to his house which may have been very close by, uh, even maybe attached and he dresses the wounds and Paul preaches the gospel to this guy and the family and the whole family comes to know the Lord. So I tell you all of that to say that there's a context between Paul a connection between Paul and the Philippians. They had seen Paul both in good times and in bad times, and they'd seen his joy and contentment and how powerfully God had worked through him through all of those things. Now, fast forward to the present in Philippians. Now, as he writes to them several years later, He's in prison in Rome and he's checking in with this church. This time when he's in prison, no earthquakes have happened and he hasn't been released and there is no release date as far as he knows. And that is probably some pretty discouraging news to these believers who love Paul so much. But this was also a very tough season for the church itself. Um, we talked a few weeks ago when I was on Philippians 2.12 that they were having some relational problems, particularly between a couple of women. And Paul would have loved to have been there to help them walk through that and get some healing there. But he couldn't be there. So under God's inspiration, he writes this letter to let them know he's okay and to encourage them to deal with the relational problems and also to uh, thank them for helping them out financially, which they had just done. But woven all the way through the letter are spiritual lessons. It repeats over and over again. Spiritual lessons on how to find joy and peace and contentment in the middle of life's circumstances. He says he finds joy because his imprisonment has brought courage to others to speak out and share the gospel. He finds joy in their support, and their partnership. And he says that God's peace comes, he instructs them in this, God's peace comes when we focus on whatever is true and noble, right, pure and lovely. When we focus on those things, he says the God of peace will be with you. His peace that passes all understanding. And here in chapter 4, he talks about where he gets his peace, joy, and contentment, whether it's going well for him or going badly. 
His intention is to teach them by example here, but not just by word, but by example. He makes it very clear in chapter 4, verse 9. He says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. He says, hey guys, if it works for me, it can work for you. Well, that's the end of the main letter right there. He starts uh, in verse 10 to do his thank you for their gift and then kind of a sign off. And even here he speaks of both joy and contentment as he has threaded it all through the letter. He starts the sign off in verse 10 by saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. He wants them to know that they are bringing him joy even though he's in prison and you got to ask how could he possibly say that how can he rejoice when he's so wrongfully detained in a Roman prison well that's where verse 10 comes in where he says I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me indeed you have been concerned but you had no opportunity to show it now when he says and be a little careful here when he says at last you have renewed your concern to me if I said to you at last you're helping me out that would have a connotation that hey what's taken you so long right but that's not really what Paul is trying to do he's not trying to send a message that he's been disappointed in them all this time and he's saying finally you guys have helped me out it's not that at all he knows that they've always been concerned about him and yet this is the first time they've actually been able to send something in a good while and he wants them to know that that is bringing him a deep joy just that they could do that not uh, he, he he might not be happy with the prison thing but he chooses to focus on how they are doing as a result of his imprisonment and that brings him deep joy so he doesn't want them to get the wrong idea about why he's happy with the donation. This is the context. So right away he actually clears his general attitude. He says in verses 11 to 13, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of placing, uh, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says, I don't want you guys to get the wrong idea. I'm doing fine. In fact, whether I have a lot or a little or nothing at all, I've learned to be content with it. I've learned the secret to contentment. No matter how much I have or no matter what, if, what the situation is that I'm going through. Now, sometimes we think we have it rough. Um, but Paul has never had an easy walk with Jesus. His walk starts with a fall off a horse and blindness 
where he has to be led around. Right as he's setting out to arrest Christians, he gets slammed. That's the way his walk started. And then he's sent to a man named Ananias to hear the gospel message. But even before he gets there, God tells Ananias, I want you to let him know how much he's going to have to suffer for my name's sake. <laughs> it's like, there's your job description. <laughs> Whoa. Then, after that, he goes through a period. After he's a, a believer, he goes through a long period where he, it looks like just about everybody's turned against him. The Jews think he's a turncoat because he believes in Jesus now, and the Christians don't know whether he's faking it so he can infiltrate them and arrest them. And the Romans, too, are having to keep an eye on him because of all the complaints about what he's preaching, all this stuff saying that Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. And so the Romans are on him as well everywhere he goes. He really does get trouble from every side. And amazingly, God sees him through all of that. And eventually, God sends him out on some missionary trips with the blessing of the church in Antioch. He had learned, he had earned their trust, and they sent him out. But even though Paul knows he's doing God's will in going out to, on these trips, it seems like all, things, all kinds of things go wrong there as well. Um, he writes about it, about some of the things that went wrong in 2 Corinthians 11. Just listen to this testimony. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. What's the recurring word? Danger, yes. Um, I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Wow, sign me up. <laughs> Sometimes when I think I've got it bad, I can just look right here and think, you know, I've actually got it pretty good compared to Paul. I bet that if any of us saw this much stuff coming at us, we would wonder if maybe God was mad at us or maybe he was trying to stop us, that it was, we were on the right, wrong track and he was just trying to shout at us with all of this awful stuff because we think that the normal Christian life is smooth sailing. We think it ought to be happy and comfortable and easy. It's supposed to go well, right? So how can Paul be content with all this stuff happening from day one in his life? Now, 
back to Philippians 4, verse 13. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is not his secret to success. It's his secret to contentment no matter what happens. In fact, one translation even doesn't say all things. It says, I can do all this through Christ, keeping it kind of in context, which is actually a pretty good idea. Now, just a quick grammar note here. Um, The word everything or all things comes at the very beginning of the sentence. And in Greek, that tells us a couple of things. One, it's emphasizing emphasizing it. And two, it links it directly to what just went before. His thing about I can be content whether I have a lot or a little and, uh, you know, whether I'm high or low, all of that. He says uh, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, being successful or suffering, he's not saying I can do anything I think of or I can succeed in everything I set out to do. He's saying I've learned how to be content no matter if I have a lot or a little or any amount in between. I can be content when I'm doing well. I can be content when I'm brought low. Whether I'm preaching my heart out or locked up in a prison cell with my back in shreds. In every case, my Savior gives me the strength I need to be content and to get through it. That's the message. That's all he's saying. But isn't that a lot? That is amazing. And this then is a truth that we can claim for ourselves. In fact, Paul encourages us to claim it. He wants us to follow his example and experience his sense of victory. So as we think about how to apply this verse to our own lives, it's probably first good to recognize that this isn't something that comes naturally to us. Being content in a really bummer situation or whatever. In a way, we are programmed not to think that way. There's actually, I think, a societal sin that is emerging in our country. And it's actually even rampant in many ways now. And it's so rampant that it's barely even noticed anymore. We kind of expect it. And that's the sin of feeling sorry for yourself. It's the victim mentality. Um, I don't mean to minimize the suffering that some people go through, but it seems that we are learning to focus more on the uh, how hard and how unjust life is than on how sufficient our Savior is to sustain us through hard things. Do you see that in our culture? Do you see it in your own life as I see it in mine? It's, yeah. Paul told young Timothy, not, don't worry, be happy, everything is great. He said, endure hardness as a good soldier. Know that you are a soldier. You are in, you're not at a party, you're in a battle. And I want to get better at that. Enduring 
hardness. I've, I've had to endure some hard times as a jungle missionary, my wife and I, uh, as a pastor for several years, and just as a person living on a fallen planet. I've had a lot of junk happen that was really hard. But I have to say that Jesus has been with me, and it's going on 50 years now that I've seen him come into my life and sustain me. He has a great track record with me. Yet I am still tempted toward that victim mentality. I am still tempted toward the feeling sorry for myself and this shouldn't be like this, that kind of thing. Still tempted towards discontentment with the way things are or the way I get treated. You know, it's easy to think that discontentment is only a problem with those who have little. But Paul says he's even had to learn the secret of contentment when he has a lot. Why would anyone have to learn to be content when they have a lot? Well, the truth is that the rich have every bit as much temptation to be discontent as do the poor. John D. Rockefeller Sr. was one of the richest people in history in his day and he was once asked how much money it takes to make a man happy and now his famous reply was just a little bit more. Remember that? Yeah, just a little bit more. Os Guinness in his book The Call says that throughout history people have always understood that the pursuit of money is insatiable. He says as we seek money and possessions the pursuit grows into a never satisfied desire that fuels avarice defined in scripture as a vain chasing after the wind. That's really something. You know, not everyone is plagued with discontentment. Some have learned through lots of practice to counter it. There was a woman in one of our small groups years ago. Her name was Iona Johnson. She was pretty old at the time. At least I was younger, so I thought she was pretty old. I'm not sure how old she actually was. Um, but she seemed to have one debilitating issue, health issue after another. Physical problems all the time. But Iona was amazing because after she'd tell us what she was facing in order for us to be able to pray for her, she... It was so good. She would then say with absolute genuine sincerity for this too I have Jesus for this too I have Jesus through all of her tough times she had learned the secret of being content because she found that Jesus would always strengthen her in the middle of whatever came at her when I grow up, I want to be more like Iona. <laughs> uh, I don't want to be a victim. 
but a victor. Not so much that I succeed in everything that I do, but a victor inside as I go through it that I'm taking things as from the Lord and I'm content with the situation and I'm drawing on his strength. I want to learn to go more quickly to the statement for this too. I have Jesus. And I want to go there before I start feeling sorry for myself. Still working on that. The Apostle Paul found joy and contentment in his tough, tough journey with Christ because he knew that Jesus was on the throne and that Jesus was always with him no matter what his circumstances were at the time. And I think if Paul was here today, he'd say to us, just as he said to the Philippians in verse 9, whatever you have learned or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. The things you've seen in me, do those things. And if you do, the God of peace will be with you just as he's been with me. We need to learn to say, as this verse actually teaches, as Jesus gives me strength, I can keep walking with him in joy and contentment, whether I face abundance or famine, success or failure, prison or freedom, sickness or health, fame or ridicule, acceptance or rejection, In all these things, I can walk in joy, in peace, and contentment through Jesus who gives me strength. That's the kind of joy that Paul found on his journey, and I'm still hoping to get better at it in mine, and I hope you are too. Let's take this passage for the incredible encouragement that it gives us. Let's use it not as a guaranteed success but as a guaranteed savior who is our ever present help in time of need as we move forward in our lives let's allow this verse to remind us for this too I have Jesus and I can do all things through him who strengthens me Well, the band is going to come up and uh, we're going to share communion together. There is uh, bread and juice or wine at the tables here in the front or in the back. And as we worship and take communion, um, I'm just going to get out of the way here (laughs) before I get run over. Um, As we worship together and we take communion, Let's just think about what an amazing thing it is to have Jesus with us as we walk through our life situations. I don't know what you're going through now. It may be horrific, heart-wrenching, and and you may not even see the way out of it. But as we worship this morning, let's just think about how amazing it is that we actually have Jesus the creator of the universe living inside of us, willing to walk with us and strengthen us through whatever it is that we're facing. God has given us 
the very best and indescribable gift in the ever-present Jesus in our lives. In Romans 8, Paul says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. As we worship And take communion together. Let's take some time to reflect on all that you have in Christ. Who took care of your past by paying for your sins. Who takes care of your present by giving you strength and contentment and joy as you walk through your day's challenges. And who's also secured your future and guaranteed to take you out of this mess someday. Let's do that as we share communion together because all of that is possible because Jesus died and rose again. Father, we thank you for this amazing verse that we've looked at this morning. Remind us when we hit those hard times and hiccups in our lives to remember that Jesus is always with us, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, that we can find joy, our strength and contentment in him alone help us lord to resist the temptation to be victims especially when you've said that we're more than conquerors when we go through these things because of the one who's loved us and given himself for us and who chooses to live in us even today and forever whatever we're going through please prompt us regularly to say for this too I have Jesus, for it's in his powerful name we pray. Amen.